Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake. And as always, I'm super excited about today's episode. Today's guest has over 20 years of experience in change management. She was the assistant executive director at the Arizona Exposition and State Fair, and she's currently a change management consultant at Arizona Public Service. Welcome, Christy Walker. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you here. Really enjoyed the the prep call that we had leading into today. And so um, I'm looking forward to, to our discussion for a whole host of reasons. But let's get started. Um, I'd like to get your perspective on what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today. Yeah, well, we've got a large group that that is deskless, frankly, our field workers, our tech support, all of those. And frankly, the biggest challenge for them right now is communications. Um, we have such a hard time making sure that they get the information they need to be successful. Um, so, you know, we've, we've worked with their leadership to get involved in, they have these tailgate meetings before the start of every shift. You know, you really have to uh, get in front of them, um, kind of face-to-face if you can, to get the information across. So we're, you know, that's, that's our main way of, of working with them, but um, we're always exploring new ways to, to really reach out and make sure they have what they need. Can you maybe share some examples w- with us about what types of things I, I hadn't heard them referred to as tailgate meetings. I love that. I've heard them as, you know, daily standups and things like that. But um, so when they're having these tailgate meetings, what are the types of things that are, you're hearing or, or being communicated to the frontline workers in those scenarios? Yeah, they use those primarily to have a safety focus. Um, If there's any issues that have come up over the last couple of days, anything they need to be aware of for today's work, um, things like that. So that's the primary purpose behind it. Um, But we do use it to spread other information to them. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the bigger topics that we've had. Um, you know, if there are changes in regulations that they need to know about, about how they do their work, things like that, um, those get briefed in those as well. Is there any type of documentation um, about those conversations? In other words, you know, you're a heavily regulated industry. Um, so how do you document, if, if there's a way in this case, to document that those communications have taken place? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. They might have an agenda that they put together. Um, I think in some cases they hand out materials so they would have um, documents around that. But, you know, I haven't been to that many of them um, in person. So, you know, the one I was at was more of a conversation um, and just kind of a briefing. So they they probably have something that they can refer to um, just to show like we've had this safety conversation. Yeah, I've seen some examples. I was out on site with a client one day and um, met the general manager for that site. And he was so incredibly proud of his bookkeeping that he had uh, for those daily standups, he actually had like sign up sheets, basically. And wow. um, yeah, it was it was really interesting. They, they had had a couple of um, uh, you know, HR, I'll just call them HR issues. And I don't know if that prompted him, you know, to, to make sure that they had, you know, a better paper trail, but he didn't want to let anybody in his organization ever say that he hadn't had that conversation with somebody. And so it, it's interesting. I think sometimes we, we get to witness some really superior leadership in, in, in the field with people that really have their T's crossed and I's dotted. Um, but we're always looking for ways that we can help our customers really think through to say, how can we operationalize that throughout the entire enterprise, you know? Yeah. And that's a great idea. And they very, very well may do that um, for those. So yeah, that's a great idea. Well, let's talk about your background. So um, let's maybe take a step back all the way to think of, you know, your education and and how you kind of made the journey through your career. I've I've learned through this podcast that few people have a a point to point trajectory on (laughs) where they started and kind of where, where they found themselves today. So what was your journey like? 
Yeah, so I went to college at Louisiana State University and I was your typical college student, didn't know what in the world would I wanna do, I have no idea. Um, I took a few business classes, really liked marketing, uh, kind of felt like something I enjoyed, um, but I also liked French and being in Louisiana, you know, I've been taking French classes and things like that. So I ended up majoring in French, minoring in business, which is kind of weird, but I always thought, you know, I might go overseas and work uh, in France or Belgium or something like that. Um, and so that seemed like a good, at least starting point. And then from there, I said, you know, I really like business. So I went into um, Thunderbird Graduate School for an uh, international MBA. Um, and I ended up, did, I did work in Belgium for a summer. So that was really fun. That's awesome. So yeah. what, what brought you back um, once, you, once you went out uh, internationally? What brought you back to the U.S.? Um, I, you know, I came back, finished out the semester, graduated, um, found a job here, um, joined, actually joined the Arizona Exposition and State Fair at that time, just as a media buyer. And it was a temporary position. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to do this for a little while till I find that big career job. Um, did that for a while, loved it, had a great time. Um, it is a state agency. So state government uh, exposure was pretty interesting. A lot of kind of challenges uh, working in state government. Um, found another job with a liftgate company. Didn't really like that. That was kind of a, a good old boys industry um, that wasn't uh, open to much change. So then I actually came back to the Arizona Exposition and State Fair and stayed there for 18 more years. So oh, wow. really grew into that, but started in the marketing field, um, ended up overseeing IT and other departments there. So that was really fun. And that kind of led me into um, the change piece, frankly. Uh, I had been leading major programs there for almost 20 years. And I didn't know change management was a thing. I just had been doing it for that long. Um, and some of my, my big programs, you know, specifically, we, we created a loyalty program um, where you could come so many times and then get discounts and things like that. And the, the lift on that was such a change management effort. We had to train everyone and get everyone's buy-in. Um, in order to launch that program. So um, when I was interviewing for the change management role, I actually used that as a, an example because it was, it was an end-to-end -end change, change program that was very successful. And I just kind of did it without having a structure. I didn't know about ProSci back then. Um, so now, now there's a framework around it. So we are a ProSci shop and uh, it, it actually makes it quite a bit easier to implement change. I have learned so much from our podcast guests. And one of the big categories of learning that I've been fortunate enough to have is to realize that there's there's actually very little different. There are more similarities between what we would think of as marketing and change management than there are differences. Yep. And and it, a lot of it boils down to something that you said at the, the top of our conversation today, which is about communication and, and how do we improve the conversation and set expectations with, you know, those that will be affected um, by this change. And that's essentially what marketing is about, right? So yep. it's, um, it's, you know, I, I know it may not look like the normal trajectory where somebody starts in marketing and, and ends up in a position doing change management, but it actually makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So what, what are some of the, the things that maybe you learned as a marketer that have influenced how you handle things now as a, as a change manager? Well, the first thing is always know your audience, right? So when you're trying to sell a change or sell a concept to somebody, you want to think about where they're coming from. You know, what are their hot buttons? What are their pain points? Um, how can this solution ease some of those pain points? So you really just have to speak in that language to them. Um, and it could be, you know, leaders may have different messages and frontline employees and things like that. So I think that's just marketing 101, like know who yeah. you're talking to and what they what what will help them adopt the concept. Um, you know, the other thing is is promoting uh, the desire piece. So you're probably familiar with Adcar at this point. Um, desire is a big one, right? Like if you can sell someone on a concept, but then they have to kind of want to try it, want to take it on. Um, and the sponsorship piece behind that's really interesting for me. You know, when a VP comes to you and says, look, this is really important. We really need your help 
bringing this change to light. This is going to improve your life. This is going to improve the company um, and things like that. People then get jazzed because like the vice president spoke to me, you know, mm -hmm. so um, that really, that really helps. So it's basically just getting a spokesperson, right? In marketing, it's getting that important spokesperson um, to leverage their influence to make the change. Yeah. Do you think that's something though? It's interesting to hear you describe it that way. I feel like uh, maybe as consumers, we tend to be a little bit more willing to um, to make that change through advertising, through the marketing. You know, I, I, this conversation keeps coming up to, you know, iPhone 13 was just launched. And so if, if you're an iPhone user, you know, even if you're not, we've all been getting hounded with advertisements from the carriers and from Apple about, you know, migrating to the iPhone 13 and getting on the 5G networks and all this other stuff, right? That's an exercise in change management right there. They're getting us <laughs> to take a thousand bucks out of our pocket and go buy the latest and greatest phone that we may or may not really need. But we, as consumers, we make some decisions probably a little bit more easily than maybe we do as a worker, you know, inside an organization. So yeah. how do you think, you know, you talked about the example of, of the executives having, you know, influencing some of that messaging. Are there other things that kind of improve that desire element? Because that seems like the toughest one, the toughest challenge to overcome for a change management team. Yeah, it is, it is really tough, um, especially, you know, when, when we went remote during the pandemic, um, we basically, everyone became a deskless worker in some sense. They're working from other homes, they're working from yeah. other locations. Um, and frankly, we found that the workload increased because now you're not driving to work, you're not getting up to go to the break room to get a beverage, come back. Like you're sitting in a chair and it's back to back Zoom or Teams or whatever meetings. And so, you know, the big challenge right now with the desire piece is if someone needs to do training, when? When are they gonna do it? How are they gonna make time? How are they gonna prioritize that into their daily schedule? So that, that's really a huge challenge right now. Um, and the desire piece really is important. Um, you know, if we can get their leaders involved, if, if leaders can help clear schedules or help them prioritize the change training into their schedules, you know, we'll be more ahead of the game, but it, it's tough right now. No one has time to do anything extra. Yeah. You know, I know there, there's always a lot of conversation around the, the end users, particularly when we're talking about digital transformation change. And so I know there's a heavy focus on the end users who will actually be interacting with the technology, but you, you raise a, a fantastic point that we just can't talk about often enough, which is that the change support needs to come from all levels of leadership throughout the organization, right? You just talked about um, a great example, which is allocating time for training and for onboarding into the new technology. And that's something that often isn't the decision of the, the individual frontline worker. That's something, that's a decision that has to come from, you know, from uh, somewhere else in the organization to say, we're going to free up some percentage of their time for this process. Yeah. And we, we hear a lot about the, the pressure to keep that, the time allocated to supporting that training and change is, is very small because we still have to keep the lights on. We still have to uh, one of our colleagues here says, keeps the trains running. We still have to do that all of the time. And yet now we need to squeeze in something that technically isn't even on my job description to facilitate this change. Yep. That's you, true. And when you have already overloaded employees, you yeah. know, we're all, all the companies, you know, in this economy, we're trying to do more with less. We have yeah. fewer people probably than ever before. So to fit that in is stressing people out. And then if you add in kind of the change saturation, I think that everyone's experiencing right now, there's so much. So you might need training for one change project or three change projects in addition to the workload. So it is a really challenging environment right now. Not to mention all the things that we have all going on in our lives outside of work, right? Yeah, so when I, absolutely. this is something else I've learned from this community of change management folks that we've had on the podcast is just the... Um, change saturation, the term that you just used, uh, I, I'll be honest, that term hadn't ever come across my brain uh, in, until we started doing this series with change management folks on, on this uh, podcast. And just, you know, saturation of change isn't just about change that we have at work, but it's about the full complement mm -hmm. of change that we're experiencing as a, as a person uh, throughout all areas and our relationships and, and home life and stuff like that too. And then yep. at work, we're also taxed and now we're trying to implement change. And in fact, I think what's been interesting is we're trying to implement more change than ever, 
at the same time, right? So we're just yeah. like, we're kind of burning it all ends. Absolutely. It's the classic iceberg scenario, right? Yeah. It's, it's this big on top of the water, but under the water, there's much, much more. And so that, that's really the, the change saturated employees experience. They have work stuff, home stuff, you know, add in the COVID stress and things like that. There's just so much going on. Well, that, that's actually a great transition, what you just said, which is, uh, I want to get back to what we talked about at, at the beginning of our conversation, where um, when I asked you about the deskless workforce, you talked about communication being one of the biggest challenges. If we were to pull together a, a few of the men and women from the front lines in your organization, and we were to ask them the same question, what do you think they would say is the biggest challenge from their perspective that they're experiencing? I suspect they might say the same. Um, you know, when we do employee experience surveys in our company, um, that group comes back very vocal, like, I didn't know about it. I, you know, I didn't hear about it. I didn't know what to do. Da, 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 da. So I, I suspect that they would echo the communications piece. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Do you think, how, well, I'm going to stop asking if, if the changes happen. I, this is, I've asked this question a lot. And I've come to realize, of course, changes happen. But how do you think the change has impacted frontline workers. And, and perhaps what I'm really trying to highlight is how the change through the pandemic has impacted frontline workers the same as all of the, the corporate folks and, and perhaps differently than the corporate folks. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So, you know, when we first went remote, some of us could work remote, right? Like we, we're knowledge workers, we can work from a computer anywhere. Um, but, you know, being a utility, we have such a large number of staff that have to go into the plants or go out in the field and fix lines and things like that. And so, um, frankly, we were very sensitive to that. Uh, our communications department made a, a huge effort to say, look, let's be careful. You know, let's not just talk about working from home and it's so great and everyone loves it because not everyone's getting that opportunity. So, you know, those folks were going out every day when the rest of us could work in our pajamas, right? So it's, it's hard for them. Um, it is something we've tried to reward them for keeping up uh, their commitment to the company. Um, and uh, we've really tried to highlight the field workers in our employee communications strategy um, just to make sure that they understand we value you. You are doing more than your average person. You are getting up, going out there every day, despite, you know, the COVID environment. So um, we just really were proud of them. Um, we didn't have any major problems that I'm aware of. Um, they were just, they're that committed to their job. And I, I think that's really commendable. Yeah, no, I, I do too. And I'm, I'm so thrilled to hear that your organization has been sensitive to that difference. Um, it, you know, I've said this on the podcast, I'm probably going to continue to say it every time I get an opportunity to, to talk about this, that I think all the time that we've spent talking about remote work and debating over hybrid work models and how big the cubicle should be in the future and all this other stuff, uh, <laughs> you know, we just lose sight of the fact that the overwhelming majority of the global economy isn't a part of that conversation. They don't get to do their job and their PJs from, you know, from their sofa. And um, I worry sometimes that, you know, the, um, you know, the corporate folks, the knowledge workers, as you described them, um, we may be spending a little bit too much time talking about that stuff and not about how all of this change is impacting the men and women in your front lines that have to keep the lines running, like literally keep the lights on in your case, right? Yeah. Um, and we just need to be more sensitive to that. And I think at the same time, we're, we're trying to push more transformational technology initiatives out to the field at the same time. So they perhaps might be getting less support at the same time. They're under a lot of stress. And, uh, and so I think we just, you know, we've got to work it out for us and particularly for folks with, with your responsibilities there. Yep, absolutely. So what do you think when, when we talk about digital transformation, I know I've resisted that term for a long time because it's way <laughs> overused in, in marketing context and stuff like that. But I do think it's a it's a real term that we we understand. We're trying to bring more technology, uh, particularly to the men and women on the front lines. It involves change 
what are some of the, the best practices you've seen employed in, in your organization or, or maybe just elsewhere um, to, to really help facilitate that and very specifically around what we can be doing to, to really cater to the men and women on the front lines? Um, you know, Teams has been a big thing in our organization. Uh, we launched Office 365, including Teams during the pandemic. So it was crazy. Um, you know, we were working on all these plans. We had all these great plans. We were going to do lobby events and hand out swag and, and just really make it this in-person um, launch party kind of feel. And all of that went out the door in March. Um, so it, it's been really interesting. We accelerated the launch of Teams um, because of the pandemic. Uh, we were going to do the office piece first and then kind of get everyone settled on that and then add the team's piece later. But uh, with everyone going remote and all our field workers out there, we needed everyone to be connected. And Teams was really the answer for us. And frankly, uh, everyone was embracing change because we had no choice at that point. And uh, the transition was actually really smooth and it went really, really well. Um, you know, the one struggle we have with, with our field workers in particular, um, actually all of our employees, I'd, I'd say, um, a lot of them are reluctant to put work-related apps and things on their personal uh, devices. And, and understandably, like they don't want the company managing or feeling like they're managing their devices. So so that's kind of been a challenge with, with getting teams out to absolutely everyone. Um, so there's a lot of talk about, you know, should we just provide company phones for these folks or, or what's the best mix there? But, but otherwise, Teams has been very, very successful for us. Um, it's really allowed the field workers to quickly access documents. Maybe there's like a, a manual, an equipment manual that they can now access out there. Um, so that has made it a lot better for everyone. And you're facilitating that through teams today. A lot of those things. Yes. Yeah. Um, we have other, it depends what it is. Um, but it, it's been really great because you can be out and about someone calls you like, Hey, we need this thing right away. Whatever that is, you can get on there and um, grab a document and, and send someone a link or what have you. So it's been really helpful. Um, through change projects, what we've also found really helpful is we, we have a really robust change champions network that we've built. Um, it, it specifically, it started with the office project. Now we're kind of using that group of technology passionate people for other projects, but we created a change champion uh, teams, well team and also a channel for them, um, which first off, a lot of benefits to that. I highly recommend it if you can do it for your change projects. Um, one, they feel special, right? Like I'm a change champion and I'm in a special team just for us. Um, but secondly, it allowed them to ask questions and have the project teams monitoring it and give them instantaneous assistance. Um, so again, they're special. They got instant assistance. They didn't have to call the help desk you know, things like that. And, and what happened was they started learning from each other and then they started answering each other's questions. So they very quickly became SMEs in the office world. Um, so that was super helpful. And we're now leveraging that group for other, other technology related projects. That's so exciting to hear that, that transition. Um, it's, it's so encouraging to see when it starts to feed and you get a kind of that flywheel effect of, you know, the more people are learning, the more people are sharing and, and it's really helping to, uh, allow the organization to grow together. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That's been huge. Um, the other really successful thing we've had, um, including with field workers is, uh, we had to implement, um, a, a security device management software um, so that when, when you do have company apps on your phone, the data is secure in there. And so that's tricky, right? You have, you have Android phones, you have iPhones, you have all different versions, all different operating systems, uh, crazy. So we developed install parties um, 
to through te using teams in a meeting scenario, but where we had project team members walking people through the install steps and then waiting while they actually did it. And if they had problems, we had other project team members who would take them offline and troubleshoot their problems. So it worked great because we had no idea how we were gonna get all these different people with all these different phone types, a successful install. So that was super helpful. And we were using that in other change projects as well. That's the first time I've ever heard the expression install parties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did it with office also. I'm, I'm probably going to steal that phrase from you. You should. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got a new app to enter your time on your cell phone and we did it for that as well. So it, it's, it's spreading throughout our change projects. Yeah. That's fantastic. When you talk about the change champion network to go back a couple of steps from, from where we were on this, um, what criteria have you used to select the members of, of that, um, the change champion network? How do you choose yeah, those people? That's a good question. It's really evolved over time. So when I, when I think back to when we started it, you know, I just kind of knew a couple people who are those techie gadget people mm -hmm. and they, you know, we kind of started with them and I'm like, okay, you're like the perfect candidate for this. Who else do you know? And they'd be like, oh, so-and-so in this department. And so it was kind of a refer a friend type scenario originally. And then we kind of looked at it holistically and said, well, what business units are we missing? Is there anyone, because we really wanted representation from across the entire company to make sure that we were capturing all of their points of view as well. Um, and so it was kind of that refer a friend. And then we started reaching out to people in business units and saying, hey, do you have any techie people and they're like, yeah, totally. We have this person and this person. We always go to them with all of our tech questions. So it, it developed very quickly. Um, and it, originally it was a, a core group of about, I want to say like 50 people. Wow. Okay. That's a pretty um, big group. Yeah. It was good. And they were all super engaged, really active. They, they felt um, it, it was almost like an informal leadership role because we expected yeah. them to take information back to their leadership and their teams and really circulate it throughout the company. So for us, it was another arm of communications, but for them, it was kind of a leadership opportunity, but it grew super quickly. So somebody would be talking with someone else and they'd be like, oh, I wanna do that too. And so it just snowballed. And, and especially with the Teams channel, we got requests to join. People were finding it. People were telling them about it. Um, and so it, we have like 400 people in our change champion wow. teams now. Um, and everyone's really active and engaged. And we have regular meetings as well. Uh, we get, we usually get 70 or 80 people that attend um, each month. Um, so it's been really great. And they have done a fantastic job. You know, we mentioned communications is a bit of a challenge right now. Um, all electronic communications, frankly, for everyone are a challenge, not even just for field workers. But this group, you know, it's people, it's colleagues, it's somebody you work with, someone that used to be at the desk next to you and now we're all remote. Right. They can send an email and actually get it read. Um, whereas if we send something from a generic mailbox, like an IT communications or something like that, it may not get read. Um, so this is adding a little bit more of that personal touch to the change process. And it's been really effective for us. We also use that group to kind of provide training, frankly, in-house training. Uh, we did lunch and learn sessions where two or three change champions would teach tips and tricks that they've learned or figured out and are using daily. Um, and that was super effective because they were providing real business examples for our company that here's how I use this little function or feature. Um, and people found that more relevant rather than just watching like a Microsoft video that says, oh, you can do all these great things. Well, how, when? So that really provided more context for people. Yeah, that's exactly the word I was going to reply with is that having that business context, right? It's it's not just a user manual about the software, but it's it's about understanding a day in the life of how that person is going to interact with the technology in the context of what they're going to be doing at that time, right? Yep. And and that's the the part that I find to be 
uh, so incredibly important in, in that, you know, this is why I think the technology vendors often that the makers of the software that we're trying to implement are often horrible at actually delivering, uh, you know, this type of, of communication because they're thinking very much in terms of features and functionality and um, may not know or just may not have sensitivity to, you know, a day in the life of that worker, what they're going to be doing and, and where they're going to be at in their daily workflow. That's yep. really what matters to that employee. And I interviewed somebody yesterday, uh, the, the show's not published yet, but one of the things that he talked about was helping to make the, the frontline worker community feel, feel more valued because they are often kind of on the outside looking in. And I mean that actually figuratively and maybe sometimes literally, right? Uh, they are yeah. on the outside of, of the buildings. They're, they're working outside in the field, doing what they do. And, you know, the, the, just walking us through what you just did with the Change Champion Network, um, I, I imagine it has to make those men and women feel more valuable or valued, that they get a voice in what's happening. Is, is that part of why you think that that was successful? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, we made it a point to ensure that we had some field workers on our change champion network. And frankly, they brought up issues we never would have otherwise thought of, um, you know, scenarios that we needed to solve. Um, so that was super helpful. And uh, I think they did feel more valued because they brought up this important issue. The project team went, oh, we need to, we need to work on that. Yeah. took it back, came back with a solution, then they were able to share that solution with their teams. So that made them look really important. And they, frankly, they were. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. That, that makes it really effective. What have you seen through this journey of thinking about change strategy that maybe didn't work as well as you would have thought it, it might Anything yeah, come to mind? I'm kind of that, putting you on the spot on this one. Lots of love. things come to mind. <laughs> We're, you know, what I love about the change management field is we can try stuff, fail, and try again um, yeah. and get as creative as we want. Um, one of the things that I experienced was um, with the office release and teams and everything, you know, we engaged a third party training company and they're really good. They're really good. Um, but for our employees. So we have 30 plus year employees. We have new employees. We have, we run the gamut of tech savvy to not at all tech savvy. So we have everyone and we have to train everyone. Um, and, you know, by engaging this third party company, we thought, awesome, you know, we're going to give people an opportunity to attend live webinar training. We're going to record them so if they can't attend, they can watch them later and all this stuff. We thought we were doing this awesome service. Um, we got so much feedback that um, it wasn't specific enough to our environment. Hmm. Um, you know, they weren't using sites that our company has. They weren't, um, they were showing features that we didn't have enabled. Um, and you know, we, we had tried so hard to edit the content. And part of the issue there is with some of these third-party training companies, they consider their content proprietary. And so they're only willing to share maybe outlines. And we had two, three, four of us editing these outlines and we still missed stuff because we did not realize there was more content that would be mentioned um, in between the lines, I guess. And so we still missed things. So that was really that was really a hard situation because we were trying to do this really good thing, and in some cases ended up confusing people um, even more. Um, so that was not great. Um, another thing that that we're running into on some of our projects is you know maybe you've identified an in-house resource to do some training. That's awesome. Until there's project issues or technical issues, and they have to go work on that and are no longer available to provide the original training that you had planned. So things happen with projects, we totally understand it, but you know, when you rely on that resource as, as a training source, um, that's a little challenging. So then you're like, uh-oh, what do we do? So then you're back to, you know, do we use generic videos? Do we just try to train up other SMEs or, or what do we do there? So those are, those are some of my pain points right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And, and that's pretty consistent with what we're hearing elsewhere. In fact, one of the things I wanted to drill down into a little bit further is with tr trying to solve some of what we're talking about through a network of SMEs um, that are distributed out in the field and can provide that kind of other layer of, of support. One of the things we hear often is about the lack of consistency and that not everybody's getting the same version of the story and, you know, at the risk of sounding childish, but the kind of the, the game of telephone that by the time the message gets, you know, to the end users, it's, it's very different than what was originally stated or anything close to the truth. Have you found any ways to kind of manage through that consistency despite trying to leverage that network of SMEs? Yeah, um, in some cases, we've done sort of our own training. So again, going back to teaching people how to use Teams for all mm. of this stuff that we talked about, we did our own basic training and frankly had a, a deck. I like to call it our OCM foundational deck, if you will, for any change project. I try to do this. I tried to do it without a couple of times crashed and burned hard. So I went back and actually created this, but what it, it is- the deck. Oh, sorry. You're going to describe. I was going yeah. to ask you to describe that. Okay. Yeah. So really what it is, is it's really, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And why is it good for you personally? And, and that creates the consistent messaging. So if you use that before every training or every um, road show or lunch and learn or anything, you just use those three, four slides every time. I don't care if they've heard it before, we'll tell them again. Um, but it really reinforces that messaging and it, it lends that consistency. Um, so, and then, you know, if you record that session, it's in there too. So we've been using that approach um, to kind of create that consistency. Cause I had that in our, in a recent project, actually, we had a lot of people talking about the project. Everyone was very excited about it, but they were all saying different things and different benefits and different reasoning behind why we're doing it. And I'm like, time out. Everyone's confused. <laughs> it was kind of chaotic. People are like, yeah, we're really excited about it, but I'm not really sure why. Cause I heard this, I heard that it was really inconsistent. So we went back and created that, that foundational deck and have started using that in all of our meetings. And it, it's just kind of stamping the why, what, and what's in it for you into people's minds multiple times. You know, I've worked around utility companies uh, quite a bit. And then we've interviewed uh, some folks on the podcast from, from utility companies. And one of the things that I've observed that you just kind of touched on for me is that utility companies, you know, many of, of the organizations that fall under that industry designation have been around for a hundred years or sometimes more. Right. And part of what makes them who they are is uh, the consistency, right? They don't actually want to change a lot. They want to find out what the best practice is and leave it that way for many decades, literally. And then we talk about innovation and how much of a contrast innovation is to kind of the normal DNA of a typical utility company. And so you have an organization whose culture is designed for safety and for regulatory compliance and things like that to be consistent, consistent, do the same thing all the time, you know, check, have a checklist that stays the same all the time. And then here you are coming in, Miss Change Manager, trying to, you know, implement change and, you know, kind of upend things a little bit. What I just took away from what you just said, though, is, is a really interesting point that knowing that the nature of your organization is to have consistency for you to deliver change communication in a very consistent manner, maybe may kind of a, a hybrid model, right? A, a bridge between, hey, we're going to do this thing the exact same way every time. Are we asking you to change? Yes, but we're delivering that to you in a consistent fashion. Is, is that part of your motivation for doing it that way? You know, it's interesting. Our company is, is pretty innovative, I'd say, for a utility, frankly. We, we've initiated kind of a, a culture transformation, um, and part of that is designing for tomorrow. Uh, we, have, we have an APS promise, and there are several values in there that was just launched last year, I think. And part of it is designed for tomorrow. Part of it is emphasis on a growth mindset. So I think we've really made strides in changing people's uh, ideas around the consistency piece. Um, you know, once we find a, a, a new way of doing things, then we'll be consistent about that. But everyone's been challenged to provide opportunities for how can we do this better? Speak up, uh, challenge and empower 
is kind of the mantra of our CEO. And so everyone's encouraged to look for ways to be more efficient, more effective. Uh, how can we do this better? So I think to your point, we used to be in that sort of consistent, do it the same, think inside the box kind of uh, mentality, but we've really, really changed in the last year and a half to two years. You better be careful. You're starting to sound like a Silicon Valley tech startup or something. Ooh, no, we're not that crazy. <laughs> no, no but yeah. that, that's really, I mean, I commend you and in, in the entire leadership team. Um, you, you know, I, again, I've been around a, a few utility companies who I know had some aspirations to be more agile and to uh, put themselves in a position for greater innovation. But I think some of the things that I was describing before, just about things that were just so deeply ingrained in their, their culture, made it very difficult for them to innovate. I think innovation is means change and it, it means taking on some risk. And those things have tended to be very opposing to most you know, utility company cultures. So it's really exciting to hear that your organization's really trying to shift away from that and accepting that that to innovate means change and that it means you may have to have a little bit of risk, but they're, you know, obviously you're a member of a, of a team that's really helping to get your arms around how we, you can facilitate that change and still be effective and still remain safe and remain, yep. you know, compliant with the regulatory obligations and things like that. Absolutely. We talk about um, failing safely and failing fast. Um, so if we do try stuff, we try it kind of in a safe uh, space where that it, it's not disruptive um, and we learn from it. And as long as we learn from it, we're good. Um, so IT, for example, our entire IT organization has adopted Agile now. Um, we didn't have that when I joined in 2016. Um, so that's a big change. They wanna deliver um, solutions faster uh, and better. Uh, and they're really working on their um, service management as well, uh, really uh, innovating that a little bit more to, to provide better customer service for the utility. So a lot of things like that have been implemented at our company. And, um, and anytime we see somebody who's like, but we've always done it that way. We always say growth mindset, growth mindset. That's, that's kind of our uh, mantra for, for taking people out of that old thinking. Well, I've, I've written some things. I, I think it was blog post or something that you know, around some of those companies, I heard them talking about being more innovative and, and then they would throw around words like agile, but they really didn't implement the practices. And I, I don't remember what piece I had written, but I, I do remember this concept of, of just basically saying like, you, you don't get to just use the words and, and all of a sudden, you know, become an innovative company. Like you actually have to implement different practices. That's what agile actually means. And so for you to talk about it from an IT perspective that, that they're actually implementing new practices and getting away from a waterfall methodology and big design upfront strategy and putting five and 10 year, you know, programs in place and, and really shortening the timelines and stuff like that. That's really what it takes to become innovative. And yeah. that's, you know, I know we were kind of joking about Silicon Valley tech startups. Um, but that is one of the reasons that many of them are so wildly successful is that they are able to iterate on those changes very quickly. And you have to find that balance as a utility because you do have, regulatory and safety. And, and there's, there is some inherent risk in, in running utility, but it sounds like you guys are finding a, a fantastic balance and it's really exciting to learn from, from what you're doing. Yeah, we're doing some really exciting stuff. And what's interesting is I recently took a pro class that's about agile. How do you, how do you marry change management with an agile, you know, release and sprint process? Um, so it, it changes how we do our job too. So we're going through change as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it really makes a lot of sense. It's been a, a great hearing you describe that. Uh, one thing I'd like to just tease out a little bit, and, and we're close to running out of time already here, but do you think that there are different strategies and tactics for dealing with change management for the frontline employees as, as you know, you referred to them as your, you know, your field teams versus uh, you know, the corporate workers that are primarily deskbound workers. Do you think there are different strategies and tactics for those two work groups? For sure. For sure. Like I said earlier, with, with that group, you know, you really want the face-to-face -face if you can get it. Um, they respond really well um, when you're standing in front of them, generating excitement about a new change or a project. Um, that works really well. You want their leadership more involved than even on the corporate level. Um, they're, they respect their leaders. They love their leaders. They feel like they're part of a, a family. 
Um, they're responsible for each other's safety out in the field. So they really rely on each other in a very different way than our, our corporate workers do. So getting leadership behind the change is really key with those folks because they respect and trust those people all day long. Um, so that those are really the two biggest differences that I see. The third is, is really that communications piece. You just can't rely on electronic communications. Um, and frankly, even in the corporate side, it's sketchy. Um, you do not want that to be your only touch point and you can't rely on that for people to read it anymore. Um, so even, even with corporate, we're trying to do more of that face-to-face -face lunch and learn kind of program. Like we mentioned the install parties where you're literally saying, press this button, do this thing, and really trying to white glove some of the change a little bit more uh, with everyone. But with your field workers, it, it's, it's even more pronounced. Um, you know, with those groups, we had some install parties where the leader was in the room. We, we couldn't be there, but we were walking them through the steps and they were doing it and then showing it on their phone to the people in the room. And then they would do it like they, they just needed more of that visual um, help to, to install those things. So that was that was really successful as well. Yeah. Those are really great examples. So thank you for sharing those. Sure. I, we do need to, uh, to wind this down, but uh, I, I would love to just get your take on what your favorite part is about working around technology. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I really like what technology is doing to give us flexibility in how we do our work. Um, it, I did not know if I would like working from home frankly. Um, I thought, oh no, I'm going to be worried about like, what are the dogs doing right now? Oh, that's messy over there. I thought I would be kind of too distracted really to, to do a great job. But, um, you know, the improved technology that we're using teams and whatnot has really enabled us to, to be more flexible with how we want to work. In the middle of the day at lunch, I can go to the gym really quick come home and just work a little later in the afternoon and avoid the busy gym time. Um, things like that, it, it, the technology is really enabling us to work how we want to work instead of how other people push it onto you to work. Um, so I like that. And I know Microsoft's approach is, you know, offering different ways to do things. Some people like it full screen. Some people like it small, multi-screens, you know, it, it really gives people the flexibility to do their job in the way that makes them happiest. Some people may laugh when I give this example, but I started my career in the paging business. So you know, beepers, right, is what we used to call them back then. And, and I remembered at the time, people um, would push back and say, oh, I don't want to be tied to work with a pager. And I just could never understand that perspective on it. I always felt it was the exact opposite. This is giving you freedom. You don't have to be in any particular place. And sure, you can, you're, you're still going to be accessible, but it, I, I actually always looked at technology exactly the opposite way, which is that it's an enabling force for us to be able to perhaps spend more time with family or get to a soccer game and enough emergency comes up, I can still react to it, right? So it does require some new balance for us to, to manage that. Um, so that we're not letting technology get in the way of our relationships and other activities and things like that. Certainly recognize it's, it's not a perfect uh, answer, but I've always, I love that you talked about the flexibility piece because I really think that that's at the core of what uh, a lot of the innovation brings to us. Yep. And uh, we, we ultimately get to control how much, uh, you know, it, it is a leash for us versus an enabler, right? Yep. But with technology, we have a lot more available to us. If we'd experienced this pandemic 20 years ago, it would have been there's no way far less yeah. survivable than what this has been. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just been, it would have been totally different. So yeah. what, what are some things maybe that you don't like so much? What's your least favorite thing about working with technology? You know, it's really, I, what I love about change management is I, I can become the office 365 queen and people call me and be like, Christy, can you help me do this thing? And usually I can, but what's really challenging is everyone has different setups and technology has so many different variables in it, especially when you have people at home. What's your internet connection like? What are you on a personal computer or a company computer? What kind of headsets do you have? You know, are you remoting into a desk computer somewhere so your audio is not working? 
there were so many variables um, in everyone's technology that it's really hard to have a consistent experience for people. And from the change management perspective, like I want to create a consistent, repeatable experience that I can train people on, have job aids for, and all of that. And it's it's really tricky with technology. Great example. We had, we had somebody just joined the team this week and uh, got his new laptop set up and he went in to start scheduling some meetings and the Teams button just wasn't there. And I said, well, that's that's just all we use uh, is Teams. And for some reason, the Skype button was showing up in Outlook. I'm like, we don't even have that set up, you know? And so it just, unfortunately, I have the uh, the unfortunate role of also being the IT manager and I'm really bad at it at our company. So, you know, we had no idea why the Skype button was coming up. We have since solved it and I won't bore our audience with that solution. But yeah, that, that was a perfect example of saying, hey, you know, even in a fairly small organization of us, uh, of our size, you know, we're trying to be consistent in how we approach things. And then somebody opens up a new laptop and something's just not, just not playing nicely, you know? And it uh, turned out to be, you know, our fault, of course, but, um, you know, still to the user that spent, you know, half a day frustrated yesterday because he couldn't <laughs> book meetings properly, you know, it was, yeah. it was frustrating. So I, I totally appreciate that. Yep. Well, thank you so much for sharing these stories. Um, it's been a really great conversation as, as I knew that it would be. And um, I'm sure our audience uh, has, has enjoyed this as well. So thank you again, Christy, for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for bringing change management to the forefront. Yeah, I'm really, really enjoying these conversations. And I think we're going to continue on this, uh, you know, this thread for for quite some time here, because it's it's just so incredibly relevant to what's going on with the frontline workers and all the change that's happening inside the large organizations right now. And I, I do think and I'm not just, uh, you know, saying this because I have one on the phone today, but the change management professionals really seem to be just be sitting in the center. And I know it's a horrible way to describe it, but you just seem to get it. You, you get it um, better than all the other groups in the different silos um, of being able to kind of pull things together and herd the cats. A lot of what you described today is really kind of like that, that funny phrase about herding the cats, but that's a lot of what I, I hear you doing and combining that with psychology and marketing and bringing all of these things together. Um, I think you're, you're really um, bringing significant value to a very complicated time in, in our work and personal lives. And so uh, really thrilled to have you here and, and all the others. And as, as we wrap up today, um, I'd like to extend an invitation to you to come and join all of the other podcast guests that have been on uh, Frontline Innovators thus far. We have kicked off something we call uh, Frontline Innovators Council. We're only a week into this as of uh, today's recording date, but we'd love for you to become uh, a member of that uh, group with us. You, you've now paid your entry fee by sitting on a podcast with me for 45 minutes, and uh, I appreciate you doing that. So you'll get an invite to uh, our private LinkedIn group where uh, you can share and learn from other professionals that are uh, you know, solving similar uh, challenges. And uh, a variety of industries are represented there, and we really can't wait to, to get you to be a part of that. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, thank you to everybody who's listening. I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. Um, if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. And this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone you know is out innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on our next episode. Christy, thanks again for your time. 